raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And I want to put Scott in the, in the virtual eye and say in front of all these gathered thanks. Um, we, we are so fortunate to have Scott Borchetta step up and assume the leadership position of this event going forward with his racing background, with his entertainment background, with his standing uh, and stature in Nashville, we, we just couldn't be in better hands. And evidence of that is, I mean, I think Scott, you and I probably had a phone call a day at least since about the middle of December, including through the holidays, to really get into the weeds. And I admire the way you, you had a clear-eyed approach to critical analysis to see where we are. and. You know, it would be a different situation if you hadn't done that. And let's say we got to May of this year and then figured out that some of these variables weren't going to fall our way and we might not be able to do the race uh, downtown. And then what? We probably wouldn't be in Nashville. And uh, and that really goes, I think, in part, Dave, to your question. This the, the intent, the pivotal thing is that this is a Nashville event, even if the racing isn't downtown right now. Uh, that is eventually the intent and the, and the vision for the event. But with Scott's leadership and all of us uh, pulling on the same oar, we can we think we can have phenomenal racing on the Oval and at the same time have one amazing party weekend. Now we know the holdup on getting race start times. The Nashville event was in some peril, and there's still a TBD time for Barber, but the rest of the television times were announced today for 2024 IndyCar. And last week, we had a shift of the season finale. That more tonight on the big show. Hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. You heard from IndyCar CEO, Penske Entertainment CEO, Mark Miles to open things up. Also on the show tonight, we have more information on David Malukas' injury. He's probably out for about six weeks or so. Callum Eilat was in his seat today for hybrid testing. Still not confirmed if he's racing at St. Pete in Thermal. Takuma Sato is back with Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan, where he won his second Indy 500 four years ago. So what's left? Happy birthday to Roger Penske. And we're past another off-season significant date it took an extra day, but the Daytona 500 is now complete. And we are ready to get into IndyCar season. Elijah Robertson is in our Indianapolis studio. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan. How are you, Kurt? I'm good. It's uh, good to be back on a very busy uh, Tuesday night because it's uh, we've had a lot going on. We thought we had a lot to talk about last week, and then we had even more to talk about. So uh, I... I will admit I was mostly unaware of the issues going on with the Nashville event. I got a little tip. What day was this announced? Maybe Wednesday morning? I think it was Wednesday and you texted yeah, our me. Our show was Tuesday. Our yeah. show is Tuesday. Yeah, you Wednesday texted morning, me. Gonna... Yeah. And so it was quiet in the office too somewhat, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all things started breaking. So it was a busy time. You uh, texted me and you said uh 
like what 20 minutes before the announcement came out something like that and you said hey i hear some things happening with with nashville and i said yeah stay tuned yep so yeah so i i heard about it then others i think had heard about it before and then when i asked someone else that's kind of in the know it was yeah we've been hearing there have been some challenges with that so what happened? Uh, so so for those that are in Indianapolis, let's just get to the, the basics of it. The season finale IndyCar race uh, announced with a lot of hype and excitement for many reasons, which was going to be moved a little bit more downtown. It was already on the streets of downtown Nashville and going over a bridge, but mostly around the football stadium. And because they were starting construction on a new football stadium right next to the current football stadium for the Tennessee Titans, there needed to be a new location found, and voila, it seemed like the perfect scenario, and we're going to run up and down Broadway and still run over the bridge, and it's going to become the season finale, and it's going to be extra awesome. And then last Wednesday, it was announced that there has been a shift, and it's going to be at the Nashville Super Speedway, same day. Uh, and then you get into some details and and the different uh, questions about what happened. And when things like this happen, you can always start with money. Money can solve a lot of things, and a lack of money sometimes creates more issues. But I do think it's fair to say it's more than that. It seems to me like kind of summarizing with the best of intentions – because we wondered, how is this going to happen? How are you going to make this work around all these businesses in this tight confine? Uh, the pit lane is going to be on the other end, and it's going to be a dual pit lane and everything around that. And, and it kind of sounds like there just wasn't everything that was finalized. And then when we got deeply into it, uh, the people ultimately in charge said, wait a minute. We've got some real red flags that we can't guarantee are going to be cleared by the time we get to this. So we better do something and do something right now. Well, let's start with the whole idea that that the Tennessee Titans are building a new stadium or the, a stadium is being built for them. And so that's what prompted the initial change to the course layout. And it required substantial adjustments to where pit lane would be where traffic flow would be, where parking would be, where just literally everything on that side of the bridge, I believe that's the east side of the bridge uh, from downtown. And and that that led to a lot of adjustments. And, and obviously there have been uh, a lot of, you know, city issued kind of situations to cross, not just a bridge, but you've got to get things handled downtown. And I think it seemed clear from Scott Borchetta that it's it's possible a lot of those things could have come uh, to fruition and could have got signed off on. But he was he's now leading uh, the downtown event. You know, he as a as a big player in the music industry is is also a huge race fan. He's been a driver uh, and he, you know, just saw too many obstacles that had to happen in a short period of time that some of them might not get resolved until spring. Well, you can't, you can't just go into the spring hoping that those things get worked out. He needed to know. And 
He felt it was in the best interest to make other adjustments. And so at least for the time being, and I say time being, being 2024 and probably 25 and maybe even 26, as the stadium is getting built, until IndyCar could return to, or the event could return to a um, a more uh, first and second year layout, depending on how the stadium looks and so forth, it's best to take the alternative route, and that's to go to Nashville Super Speedway, which is made to order, honestly. They've been running NASCAR races the last three or four years there, maybe even more than that. Nashville Super Speedway is an oval. It's been on the IndyCar schedule in the past. It's been hosting NASCAR Cup Series events, and so that'll be the alternative for the season ending. So this all depends on perspective and the way you want to look at it. And the reaction has been very mixed. There are many who are super excited that this is an enhancement to the schedule. They want to see more ovals. Uh, I've been one of the people that, you know, would be, especially before a downtown option became available, I was interested in giving the Super Speedway a, a, a try again and, uh, so from that and, and the fact that I think there were people that weren't really excited about a street race deciding the championship, but just the randomness that is involved in a street race, this will be a, a, a more straightforward, normal type of event. So if that's your perspective, then this worked out great. You know, those that, that miss the days of the IRL, uh, or old USAC oval races, you're getting more of it. What is it like six of the last eight races are on ovals or something like that? Seven races total on oval. The most that we've seen in long time. Uh, so that's the positive. The other side of that would be people saying, well, wait a minute, you, you are, you're in charge of making sure before you announce things with great fanfare that something is going to be doable. And, and technically that's correct. I guess I always come back to, you know, what I sometimes say is that uh, sometimes things happen. <laughs> sometimes things happen outside of your control. Or if you're the person in control, sometimes you trust your lieutenants to get things done. And I say this is someone that's never been in charge of, of anything like that. So it's far than, than ideal. It's less than ideal. But they did make the best out of the situation you know, I would imagine at one point you're scrambling and wondering, what are we going to do? You know, they first hear that, yeah, this might not happen and we could use some extra sponsorship to make this happen. And we've got permit problems and the locals are angry. I don't know if that's true or not, but those are all kinds of things that always happen when you're talking about a street race. Then what can we do? Well, can we even get to the Nashville Super Speedway? Is it available? What's it going to cost? If that doesn't happen, are we resurrecting the Harvest Grand Prix at Indianapolis again? Which would not be super easy to do because that would be the week before the IMSA weekend. And that would not help either event. Certainly would not. If I'm IMSA, I wouldn't be really excited about an IndyCar event coming the week before my event when I'm, I'm trying to sell some tickets for that. And it's not great for Indianapolis either. You know, it, it may be more about that it would it would hurt their gate and their opportunities there um so i'm disappointed i'm sad that they're not going to see this come because there was legitimate excitement for this you know you see the mayor up there you think yeah it's good we're good and you see scott borchetta we're good and we all wondered how are you going to make this happen but it's well they've looked into it deeper than we have 
but unfortunately there were just some things. And I don't know if these are things that got changed or if I, I think that the word due diligence was mentioned in the press conference. Well, so will it come back? I, I don't know. I, there's no guarantee. You know, I'm, I'm hoping this isn't Baltimore where a great event that just could make it financially. How much of it is that part of it? Because street races are so expensive. It is so hard to make them work financially. They draw a lot of people, but they cost a lot more money than anything else. I didn't remember, uh, and I listened to the entire Scott Borchetta explanation for what he's seen and and the whole teleconference uh, that we've referenced off the top. I didn't hear him speak to money. What I heard him speak to is more along the lines of permits and just elements that have to come into play when you're street racing. And keep in mind that most street racing, you're developing these plans over a you know a multi-year period of of time. And in this case, the you know the goalposts got changed in pretty short order. You know that yeah. they were they were going fine on the circuit that was laid out you know, three or four years ago, and they've raced there now, what, twice, and things were going along, and then all of a sudden the, you know, there becomes a stadium issue, and you can't use this portion of the circuit, and you're going to have to make modifications, and all of a sudden now you're making modifications in a very tight window for when it comes to street racing. Now, again, Scott seemed to think that there were going to be opportunities to get some of these things resolved, but some of these things weren't even go go to a decision by the city officials until like April. <laughs> He's going to race there in just a few months after that. So he just wasn't comfortable with it. Um, I don't know whether it returns or not. I can tell you that from a fan base standpoint, and I had this conversation with Mark Miles last Wednesday after the news broke, and I had a chance to talk to Mark and and he's he said, "Look, from a fan base, we're we're the fan base is so excited to go be going back to the oval uh, to finish the season on an oval. I think it's four of the last five races on the seventeen race schedule are oval races. Uh, the two at um, and maybe as you include Iowa, there's there's even you know a, a greater string." But you've got the two at Milwaukee uh, the week before. You've got um, you've got uh, Gateway, and now you've got Nashville. So we'll see. I mean, it's we last raced there in two thousand eight. We had a good run there from like oh oh two oh three all the way to two two thousand eight. Maybe a one seems like yeah. 01. Was it oh one? It might have been oh one. Um, we raced there seven or eight times. The racing was good. It wasn't, you know. And I think we have to have a, and I didn't tell this to Mark because I was talking about, you know, just how the race was viewed back in 08. But from the lens of 2008, that was a period of time we were racing on mile and a half ovals like at Texas and Kentucky and Kansas and and uh, Michigan. And, and you know, uh, this wasn't. This wasn't that kind of racing that we saw in the mile and a half. So it was a little bit, you know, more of a traditional oval track race like a Phoenix or more like a Milwaukee. And and those are different. But you get what I mean is that those mile and a halves were producing just breathtaking um uh, you know, finishes and and racing and almost over the edge in terms of excitement, which was great. Uh, but in 2008, 
that was the last of the Nashville races. And, you know, it is essentially about a mile and a half in distance, but it's not laid out the way a mile and a half at, at Kentucky or Kansas or Chicagoland or, or Texas is laid out. So it's a little bit different. Uh, it's concrete. Concrete. Yeah. But, uh, it, you know, it's, it's just a little bit. It has not been edge of your seat racing. It's been, but it, you never know. Um, it's a mile and a third, I think. Yeah, it's it's a little more right. than a mile, but it's not, you know, it's kind of like more like gateway maybe than than anything. But uh I tell you the one person that's really happy about it, Scott Dixon. He's won the he won the last three times we went there and um really did so. In fact, the last one uh he probably wasn't going to win. Um, but it, the rain came and and he was in the lead with with Weldon in second. So and they were teammates at Ganassi that year. And so he's got to be pretty excited they go there. And the other guy has got to be just jumping for joy is is Joseph Newgarden because we're going to end this season with with at least four of the last five being on short ovals, and he's pretty good on those. Yeah, if we haven't made our picks for the championship, it's changed. Yeah. It's it's Joseph Newgarden is, is your pick for the championship. And then I might include Scott McLaughlin second. Uh, because the Penske cars are just so good in these kind of scenarios. Milwaukee and Nashville are certainly outliers because that's different. It's not exactly the same as the other short ovals that we've been seeing, but it's a pretty good place to start from. So here's what it is. The fans that have been asking, pleading for more ovals need to recruit because Circumstance has presented a wonderful opportunity for IndyCar Oval fans. You're going to get a lot of it. And if it goes well, you're going to see more of it. And if it doesn't, they're going to, it's going to be the Indy 500 and one or two other races. Uh, so that's the bottom line at all of this. My fear is this is going to be a challenge. So the IndyCar community is going to need to work hard at this event. You have had people excited about a downtown race and the simple logistics of that. And now you're 40, 45 minutes outside of town. And oh, by the way, you're still competing with week two of the behemoth, the NFL, uh, where when you're downtown, people can do multiple things in a day. They can stumble over to the race and be over in a bar to watch the four o'clock game or depending, you know, the one o'clock game, whatever. They can do a lot of things. When you go to Lebanon, you're kind of committed for a little while. It, it's it's a little bit more of a commitment. And, and you were there because you were there to see the race, which is awesome, which works for most of us. But it has not worked to draw the kind of crowds you'd like to have. The other challenge that we've talked about before is that a place like Barber Motorsports Park you know, can get thirty-five or 40,000 or whatever the number is on Sunday, which would be a great crowd for Nashville. But Barber also gets 20, 25,000 on Saturday and 10 or 15,000 on Friday. You're not going to have that at Nashville on, or any other oval event, which is why we've seen the doubleheaders. Uh, that's kind of, I think, even though I'm not a big fan of doubleheaders, I get it because you're trying to get more people to come to the weekend and you'll get more people to come to each day at Iowa and Milwaukee than you times 50 than come to a qualifying day. That's just the way it's been for 
oval races outside of the Indianapolis 500 for a long time. So I am really hoping that it works because I think that's what makes IndyCar so great is the diversity and how different it is and how you have to be good and all these different types of tracks. This is a market that's good. Who's to say, you know, maybe we decide it's not best for the the championship. Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But this is a place that yeah, maybe you do something the first weekend of May. Uh, Nashville is, that might be doable. Might be warm enough there to go ahead and I'd, I'd want to look at some history of rain. Rains a lot in the spring in these areas, but something to think about. And you make the best of it, and it can it really can turn in a positive, but just unfortunately, you're not going to have the big blowout. Now, they'll still bring the concerts in. They'll do, this is Big Machine that is promoting this. They are connected to many, many artists, and they might even do things with non-Big Machine artists, but they're going to do everything they can, and we've seen what hy has done with Iowa. Hey, here's another experiment. What can you do in this kind of circumstance? Well, that that was a key part of the press conference or teleconference the other day. Scott Borchetta was asked, you know, how do you make a midway and and create, you know, additional value in addition to a, an IndyCar series race? And and he basically laid out something that's very similar to what Iowa has done. He said, we're going to have a great midway. We are going to create activities, music, various elements for people to enjoy and make it a destination for the day. Now, to your point, very difficult to do that on Saturday, but I wouldn't put it past Scott. He's he's very well connected. He's got all kinds of, of young artists, artists that are, are trying to have a platform, uh, artists that you know, are willing to do what, what the big boss suggests. And I think they'll have a nice uh, atmosphere. Now, the question is, when you're doing it the first time, is there enough people who know that who are saying, hey, I'd like to go listen to X, Y, and Z while I get the chance to uh, watch an IndyCar series race? If you can get enough of those people, then, yeah, you can make this work. I don't know how, how you do it on the on the Saturday, but you know, Scott's a promoter. He He's a very good promoter and he's invested not only f as a race fan, but remember, as I said, he's been a race car driver and not at this level, but he's, he's driven race cars and he knows what racing is about. And as, as we've talked about, he's connected to a lot of entertainment. So we'll see. I mean, it is a challenge. I mean, this racetrack for, for those that don't know, there's a triangle from if you think about Nashville to the northeast is the town of Lebanon, and from Nashville to the to the southeast is Murfreesboro, and this triangle that would go from Nashville to Lebanon and down to Murfreesboro and back to um, Nashville is where in between sort of is where this racetrack is between Lebanon and Murfreesboro. The roads are fine. It's four lanes and it's there's a lot of businesses that have grown up through there over the years but it's still it's still a, it's not downtown nashville um and so it's a it's a quality venue we've seen some good racing um it is another oval it's an oval to decide the championship and you've got somebody with an entertainment background ready to promote this so you're you have to give it a you know you know hope hope for the best this place was almost done as a racetrack. Almost. Years ago that they were 
there have been a lot of our buddy George Phillips could probably give us all the details of this, but there have been a lot of different plans and it was purchased. Was it purchased? Well, it was owned by Dover at one point, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, and then it was sold to some developers and it was going to be a multi-use type of situation. But a, one of the scenarios at one point was it wasn't, I don't think going to be used for much of a racetrack and Nash uh, and NASCAR helped keep that going because I think we've all recognized, Hey, this is a good market. We need to be here in some form or fashion. And, you know, NASCAR got that done. Now NASCAR is kind of looking at the uh, fairgrounds speedway as well. And, you know, who knows what happens if that ever gets off the ground, there are a lot of obstacles involved in that as well. But, you know, ultimately uh, I, I like to try to look at things positively. So that's the way I will look at this is that we're curious to see more ovals uh, we don't have to worry about track blockage in a street race deciding the championship or the caution coming out at the wrong time um, and really disadvantaging the the true leader of the race. This will be straightforward. And if they and they'll do a test, they they'll do some testing. Sure. They need to do tire testing and aero testing. And we will hope that they come up with something that makes it really racy and entertaining for us. So that's how the season is going to end for IndyCar. It's uh, going to be a Sunday afternoon race on NBC at three o'clock Eastern time. So that's two o'clock local time. We did get the schedule out today uh, and some times. Any trends that you noticed out of that schedule today for timing or anything else that stands out? No, not, not really in terms of a trend, uh, but you did see, you know, you, you see, as often as you can kind of earlier in the afternoon races um, you know, that's, you know, the noon start for St. Pete to start the season, you, you know, that's, that's one. Uh, yeah. It's always thing. I think it's always difficult to come up with a trend with television times. You kind of almost need to overlay that on the NASCAR schedule, on the football schedule, on those kind of, you know, competing entertainment you know, elements to know what you've, what you've decided uh, from a TV time perspective. 1230 green flag is what I understand for St. Pete noon airtime. That's an NBC race. Uh, the West coasters, the thermal club is going to start at nine 30 local time. I'm going to guess in Palm Springs, they're okay with that because if they want to go outside anywhere from say May to October, they like to do it at 6 a.m. So that's about lunchtime, right? Because that'll be 112 in, in the summertime. Now, when we're there in late March, it will still uh, likely be comfortable. But it, it probably can get a little bit toasty. But 12.30 Eastern time, also on NBC for the Thermal Club Million Dollar Challenge exhibition. Long Beach is a USA race at 3 o'clock. TBD for Barber. I, I don't know. I haven't dug deep into what NBC has going on that day. It's a golf event. If there's something else involved, but uh, they couldn't come up with one for that one yet, you know, expect sometime in the the afternoon. We we know it's not going to be a night race, and I don't think it's going to be a morning race. So somewhere between twelve thirty Eastern and four o'clock Eastern in that range, three o'clock on in, and that's NBC. Uh, the IMS Road Course is NBC. Second day of qualifying, we got an NBC window confirmed in there, and that's 
presumably, I think three o'clock. That's when we, I would think we would see, what did we do? 12 was, was the shootout Correct. 12 last year. Correct. Yeah. We'll get into our refresher of qualifying rules <laughs> as we get closer to that. Uh, Detroit is going to be a noon start on USA road. America has been early before this is three thirty Eastern two thirty local. I think that's a nice compromise for there. I, I've always heard the track liked early, because people wanted to get out. But then the challenge of that, if I'm the track, is I'm not selling as many brats and and hot dogs and beers, you know, if the race starts at 1130 local time, and I have a hard time getting all my support races in. So 230 seems local, a pretty good compromise, because you can still be out of there at 5 o'clock and drive back to Indianapolis or certainly Chicago and other places like that. This was interesting. WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, which is now uh, in June, swapped around 6 p.m. Eastern. So sort of an evening race Eastern, but that's three o'clock local time. That's on USA. Mid-Ohio was a 1.30 Eastern race on NBC. Iowa. So here's your night race. And I think really your only true night race, eight o'clock Eastern, seven o'clock local time on the Saturday night, and that's on NBC. That's a Saturday night NBC race. One of the people on this program said those are tough to get. They obviously got it, so there you go. Um, so it gets dark there probably 8.30, 9 o'clock? Yeah, probably about 8, about probably close to 8.45. Yeah, I'd say that's, you'll so still you'll have. Few, you'll, you'll get a few laps in the darkness. It's going to be a twilight race. Second race, ooh, here's a quick turnaround. 11 a.m. local. Noon Eastern on NBC for the second half of the doubleheader. Toronto is one of the Peacock races, 1 o'clock Eastern. Uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway, Gateway outside St. Louis, 6 o'clock Eastern. Their central time, that's 5 o'clock local. So that one, August 17th, unless you have rain or... Many, many, many cautions. That's a daytime race, just kind of in the late afternoon. So that'll help a little bit with the heat, if you want to look at it that way. Should be a little more comfortable that time. Portland is a noon local time, 3 o'clock Eastern USA race. The first Milwaukee race, Peacock. People have been asking why the second Peacock race. Well, one, I think it was in the contract that they they might even be able to do up to three races. But this was first announced way back when. There were a certain amount of Peacock races allowed. I also don't think this was originally planned to be a doubleheader. And that came on probably having something to do with te when Texas went away. I may be getting some factoids uh, wrong there, but that's kind of my recollection of that. And then it was, well, we've already kind of made some plans, so that's going to be a Peacock race uh, at 6 o'clock. No lights at Milwaukee, so that's definitely not a night race. You know, your challenge there would be if it does rain, you don't have any wiggle room. So you need to hope it doesn't rain for that one, because if you're delayed very long, then you're going to be doing a doubleheader on Sunday uh, with the second race on USA at 2.30 Eastern, 1.30 local time. And then I mentioned the uh, Nashville Super Speedway, 3 o'clock Eastern on NBC. And there you have it. Yeah, it's a lot of interesting ones. I think the thermal one is the one that caught my attention because of the 930 start. Remember that you're not going to have, for those just catching up, a lot of the people will be on site already as owners of properties, you know, homes there on the property. 
you're not going to have a huge crowd to get into the race, um, you know, in a, in the morning time. Uh, so, you know, that it's kind of a more of a made for TV type event. So that's, you know, can probably work. Um, but that was probably the time slot that was available. Um, you know, the double headers that you talked about, you know, running Iowa, you know, five, six o'clock and then turning around and, and having an early race the next day. That's interesting in Milwaukee, kind of the same way, short turnaround for the crews, but, um, they get out, get out of the you know place at a reasonable time on Sunday. So we'll see how that works out. All right, coming up, we'll get into what's going on with Errol McLaren and a replacement for David Malukas. That and more coming up. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hi, this is Felix Rosenquist, and you're listening to Trackside. Hey, cars were on track today, I understand, at Homestead Miami Speedway. And for the next couple of days, uh, hybrid testing. This is the second time in the new year that hybrid testing is going on. I don't have all the details of who's there. It's presumably most, but I know it's not all. I've not done a full accounting, uh, and, and we'll get to this at some point. But one, Well, well the, the team that still has TBDs, I understand is not there, Dale Coyne Racing, because I was curious about that because I thought, hey, that might tell us who might be their car in St. Pete. So we've gone this far. Let's go for March 8th. That's what I'm voting for, for a confirmation who would be in those seats, and that'll be fine. We like we don't want everything dumped on us news-wise all at once. Kurt, we need to save some things as we get closer into the season. But I look forward to kind of hearing in the next few days how hybrid testing has gone. So when you say March 8th for learning uh, Dale Coyne's team, that's when practice begins. Do you think we'll know before the practice begins or after? When he gets out of the car or where the nameplate goes on it? It was only once that <laughs> the practice had started and we couldn't get a confirmation. So I was kind of looking at the – the name on the suit. That was a long time ago. Um, so I don't remember who that was. Do you? I don't either. There have been a lot. There have been a lot. This would have been, well, I'm going to say somewhere in the 2006 to 2009 era when, because I was still doing radio. I was not doing TV. So I was there with IndyCar Radio. And I just remember. Well, it was um, after the. It would have been TBA. after unif unification, wasn't it? I think it would have been like more like 2010. Yeah, that's right. So it would have been 8, 9, 10. And you're probably thinking more in the 9, 10. Yeah. And I guess it could have been 11 because there were a few years, even when I switched to television, you know, we NBC versus Comcast, 
did not have all the races. So St. Pete was often an ABC race. So I would work for IndyCar Radio. I did that for a few years. But yeah, that's so I don't remember who or when, but it's part of the charm. And a lot of us miss that. Um, well, I don't miss that. Come on. We'd like to know who's going to be in the car. <laughs> oh, it's fun. Now, I guarantee you Dale Coyne does not miss that. So feeling for Dale Coyne, uh, that's tough. You know, he wants to know. He wants to plan. He's a competitor. He wants to have people preparing for the season. He wants to know what the budget is and that everything is good. And he's not going to have to pay for most of it out of his pocket, which he has been kind enough to do at times so you know that's the challenge is what drivers are out there right now that he feels good about and preferably can help him on the budget department i'm hoping jack harvey has found some commercial success as well because i really from a talent standpoint and i'm going to guess dale does too feel like he's about as good an option there is if not the best option out there so let's give him a go in this and economically, it's probably a much lower number than others would be asking for at this point. Um, I was asked not to say this, but it's been said in many circles. So it's apparently, and, and I knew this, I know someone wasn't just telling me a secret when it filters down to people are sharing it. It's pretty common knowledge, but it's now pretty common knowledge that Nolan Siegel is at least in the mix. And... Nolan is not my source on this because I, I actually, I think I found out about this. I know it was a slight possibility, but I heard more definitively the day after I talked with him at Indy next media day. And it was the next day that someone said, yeah, I think he's going to do three or four races, including the 500 for Dale. You know, and we, we told the story. Oh, by the way, someone sent me a picture on Twitter. I think the Uber driver, snapped a picture of Nolan getting out of his seat. Uh, I was told, I'll see if I can find it. If you Google Nolan Siegel on Facebook, there is a person that has a picture of Nolan at the curb at the Indianapolis airport with his with a big trash bag. And inside that trash bag is his IndyCar seat, which we told last week, you can find on the podcast. Um, Nolan makes some sense because I think the plan would be he's still going to go after the Indy Next Championship and continue his development, but an opportunity has arisen. And they have the budget. You know, Nolan is the perfect driver if you are a team owner. He's good. He's a really nice and polite and professional young man. From what I can gather, his family is the same. And he has some budget behind him so that ding 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 ticks off a lot of things so he can kind of help make up the margins and it might be certainly in one car that would make it a shared opportunity because i would assume he's going to pick indy car races that indy next is not racing at the indy 500 would be one of those and then all of a sudden he goes you know it's kind of a half measure we've discussed and debated before the kiffin simpson approach really being thrown in the deep end, whatever he was, ninth or 10th in Indy Next points last year, maybe one podium, maybe two podiums. And the argument could be he could use another year or, well, you're going to have to learn sometime. And there's an opportunity with the best team in the paddock. Take your lumps now and, and year two and three, you'll be better off 
than if you had done another year in Indy next. Nolan looks like he's going to potentially kind of do the best of both worlds. Dip his toe in the IndyCar waters. One, also, that gives him a good chance to find out, when I go full-time, do I want Dale Coyne Racing to be my home, or do I need to look elsewhere? And then two, have a chance to win the scholarship and win the championship in Indy next. Well, he's going to get a chance to showcase himself, too. So it may not be deciding if Dale Coyne is the right team for me, the right team may step forward and say, okay, you check the three boxes that Kevin just laid out. And uh, we've seen you in three races, which by the way, I mean, I'm not saying it is three races, but if it were three races, it would be the same uh, trial span, if you will, that Linus Lundquist got in 2023. And so we saw what that did for Linus's career. Hey, if you show well in a coin car, just like Linus uh, did in a Meyer Shank car, then you might go places. And maybe that place is to a team like Chip Ganassi Racing as Linus is doing in 2024. So, you know, Linus has has shown a path. I kept I kept thinking that all through the fall, that that um, maybe the best thing that could have happened for Indy Next drivers like Nolan Siegel, like Christian Rasmussen, was to follow the heels or the coattails, if you will, of Linus Lundquist, who who really took advantage of the opportunity. Um, you know, we knew, you know, Kyle Kirkwood was almost not a fair comparison because everybody had seen how good Kyle Kirkwood was coming up through the system. But and and Linus and Christian have done similar things. But it, you know, they weren't really compared to Kyle Kirkwood. You know, it was almost like we were talking about a, a, you know, a real phenom with Kyle Kirkwood that we didn't put that same label on these other guys. And yet, you know, Linus has shown that if you just get a chance, give us, give me two or three races. I may not win the race, but, you know, he qualified, what, 11th, made the fast 12 in two straight races, and everybody took notice, and all of a sudden he's driving for Chip Ganassi Racing. So it could work out like that for Nolan as well. What else is going to make up the Dale Coyne roster? Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> you know, we know the normal candidates. We still have not heard from Benjamin Peterson since he welcomed Stingray to A.J. Foyt Racing in December, but we know he's not with A.J. Foyt Racing. We don't know if Devlin D. Francesco is planning on doing IndyCar racing this year or not. Um, you know, could Calamilot, we'll get to Calamilot in a moment, could he factor in there in some circumstance uh, and many other names out there as well? So who knows? And names that we may not even be aware of. Now to Calamilot. So last week when we talked, we knew that David Malukas broke his wrist. We didn't know which one. We now know it's his left wrist. We knew he was going to have surgery last Tuesday, kind of right before and during the show. And we said, I don't know when we'll find out, but they'll probably know tonight a time frame. And they announced it to Air McLaren's credit the very next morning, I think. It was next morning, day after something like that, very shortly, that he's going to be out about six weeks or so, miss all the preseason testing, Miss St. Pete, Miss Thermal, and then TBD. There's some time off after that, so good chance he's back. And the next, I think, on track thing would be the oval test at IMS on April 10th and 11th. Much better chance of being, you don't even have to be 100% with a wrist injury to be able to get that done. Callum Lot was in the car today. 
we don't think he's going to be in the car for the, and, and by the way, today, tomorrow, the next day, hybrid testing. So we'll have nothing to do with the beginning of the season. If all goes well, this is to get set for the second half of the season and to get, well, just the whole program set, not just for your individual cars. Next week at Sebring is really the only testing. That's a full field, not official spring training, but everybody's going to be there. He is, I forget where, the other side of the world in uh, the official preseason testing for his confirmed job for the year, driving a top-level World Endurance Championship hypercar, one of the prototypes, top-class cars. I doubt he can get out of that. And he may not want to get out of that. That's probably a pretty good-paying job. So McLaren has left it at, will announce the St. Petersburg and the test driver uh, in due course. So you're not going to learn everything about someone in hybrid testing, but I'm going to guess they can learn. They, they know what he is, but now they get to work with him. And that's probably just as good as him driving the actual card Sebring next week. They know he can drive. They, they probably want to find out up close, hey, why did Ricardo Junkos not really want you on his team anymore? Let's make sure we're okay with this. No, I think it's as much about working with him as as anything. He doesn't need to test at Sebring to know how he's going to do. Could he do it at St. Pete? They know what he is. Uh, they have high regard for him, and and as we do as well. So it'll be an interesting decision. I don't know who they'll have in the car next week if they run the car. Um, they may not run the car. I suppose it's possible. Oh, I'd run the car. I would too, but I, I'm saying, you know, if they were set on Ky- Calamire. Yeah, they probably are. But um yeah. They're not budget th- uh short at McLaren. No, 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 no. But I think I think if they want Callum in the car and his schedule allows for those two events at St. Pete and Thermal, it, he won't have to have tested it at St. Pete or at uh at Sebring to make that decision. Be really nice, but I think that would go to that's how highly they rate this. And and the question I brought up last week because it seemed to me like Callum was the best choice if available. But the question I asked is, well, wait a minute. McLaren is associated with Hunkos. They had a chance to work with him this year, and they're not. So was McLaren on board with that? You know, the more I think about it, and now we know that McLaren, if this is the case, that it wasn't a McLaren thing, McLaren likely said, all right, um, we see that this is untenable here and we don't want to tell you who is going to drive your car. It's still your car, Ricardo. We're commercial partners in this. And I also think it's very possible that the wording of that split was actually accurate. You know, you often see things about mutual and we know it's not mutual. You know, when you, when you get fired, uh, you, you only say it's mutual because you want to collect something. But really, you got fired. I think it might have been somewhat mutual. There might have been a circumstance where Callum could have said the right things and continued to race, but he may have looked at it and said, you know what? I don't think this is a good situation for me. Even though there's uncertainty, I think it's best that we separate. And they they probably did agree in that circumstance. So now McLaren gets a chance likely to take a look at him. Who would be in the car next week? You know, the simple thing is if you've got your race driver set and they're fine with that circumstance with Callum Mylot, I think I'd put Zach Veach in the car. 
if he really is your test and development and your simulator driver, give him some real world experience. And then the second option would be a Tony Kanaan, or is there someone else that they just want to evaluate? I've heard Oliver Askew's name mentioned. Maybe, you know, we know he was with them, was fired, and then filled in with them. One thing I would remind people is when he filled in when uh, after Rosenquist got hurt, right? Yes. Filled in for a race. The circumstances are different. His manager is or was, actually I would say was, Chris Wheeler. I don't imagine it's Chris Wheeler now because he has taken a full-time position with Chip Ganassi Racing. Chris was a spotter for that team, and his best friend is Taylor Kyle, who was the team president. Neither of them are still at McLaren. Doesn't mean that Oliver wouldn't still be a choice, but that's I think that likely helped make that happen. That that was just simple. You know, you're doing things quickly. Both of you know him. He's here. He's ready. Uh, this is a different circumstance. So I would love to see Oliver get another chance now, but that easy pathway or that easy link does not exist anymore. There. Agreed. And 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 you make a. A really good connecting of the dots. I think that was the path for Askew. And I think if it's Veach in the car, then that tells me, if Veach is in the car at Sebring, that tells me that it's going to be Callum at St. Pete. Yeah, I guess if there is any question at all, and by then they may know, hey, is there any chance that this lingers on for David? Then what kind of conflicts? I think there's a little bit of a run, runway for Callum with his wet uh, commitments. They race the week before St. Pete, and he maybe could get there for the Sebring test, but it'd be pretty difficult, uh, and certainly to be there the entire time. But I guess if there was any question, you know, that might be how you see a Connor Daly in the car or someone else that would be available to race if they still want to evaluate. They didn't announce him, so obviously there's something that's still uncertain. And by the way, it might be, because we need to talk to Team Joda, you know, and, and make sure everything is on board with them. Or maybe they're still trying to hope that there's a way to get him to Sebring at some extent. So that's where that is. Uh, and, you know, this this is highly unfortunate for David. And I really feel for him. He will get a chance to show what he can do. But the general perception has been... When you get a chance with a team like that, I, I hope it's a multi-year contract, but it would not be unheard of that it's a one with the team's option and yep. you need to show. And then one of the hottest free agents for 25 is going to be in the car and see where it goes. Um, now, they'd like to have four cars. So there might be room for both of them in 2025. We kind of got the impression the only reason they didn't run for this year is they just cannot logistically do it in their shop so i don't know when they get to the andretti shop i think I it's for 25 know, is it to start 25 so is that and with a full year runway you know maybe they do come up with some sort of provision so um that they can turn a very negative into a positive too let's see what calamilot is and what he does in our car so not only do we have TBAs for uh, other things, we have TBAs for cars that were already set, but circumstance has dictated that. All right, we'll look ahead to hour number two coming up in a moment. Stay with us, Trackside. 
raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hi, this is Graham Rahal, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Coming up in hour number two, we need to get to some Twitter comments and questions. We have another confirmation for the Indy 500. We'll do that, see where we stand now, and much more all coming up. Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It's hour number two, trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan in Indianapolis. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Elijah Robertson is in our studios in downtown Indianapolis. This is the point in the program, so I'm yapping here. Look up our schedule. <laughs> you think we're on Tuesday next week. This is always the reminder for us and to try to tell the audience when we will next be with them. And I will go to our next topic of the day. We thought this was happening, but until you you see it and hear it, you just never know in motorsport. Takuma Sato is back, and he's back with Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan, where he won his second Indianapolis 500 in 2020. Uh, so this is, uh, I think, very exciting news for the event. You like to have former winners involved. You like to have people that you like, and everybody likes Takuma Sato. And now Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan gets a driver in their stable that has a lot of experience, a lot of speed and in the right circumstance, you know, it's tough as a one-off, but he is definitely one that you would not count out. So it's going to depend on what kind of car they have for him. Absolutely. And, and show update next Tuesday, the 27th, it's a seven to nine, two hour show as regularly planned. The next two weeks after that are one hour shows. March 5th is a Tuesday night. That is a one-hour show at 7. And then Monday, March the 11th, is an 8 o'clock tip time. So we've got uh, two one-hour shows coming up in the next three weeks. But uh, anyway, okay. this next week is is Tuesday night. Now, back to Sato. I mean, I think it was a re- it's a really good hire 
for Ray Hall. But keep in mind that all four of their cars struggled for speed at Indy last year. Four of them were in the bottom five as you looked at, or six, five or six, whatever it turned out to be with Catherine Legg. I believe she was the slowest of the Saturday qualifiers. And then the other three cars were in the final shootout, the last row shootout, uh, along with Stingray Rob of Dale Coin Racing. So you had Jack Harvey, you had Graham Rahal, and you had Christian Lungard battling for spot on the last row. And it was Jack Harvey who ultimately bumped uh, Graham Rahal from the field. So we know their cars weren't good last year. I expect them to be better. And if they're if they're close, I think Sato is certainly one I would hire in a heartbeat. Seems like I've picked him like every year since about 2016 to win another Indy 500. And twice I've been right, you know, or yeah. at least to have won one. Probably easily could have won to 2012 when he went for it in turn one with Dario Franchitti. He's going to finish first or second until he, he goes for the win, which was admirable. A little risky right there. He probably should have waited till the backstretch going into three, but he didn't. The point is he's... Um, Feast or famine, <laughs> as we know, uh, I forget, I've, I should remember what his saying is, but the point is he's no going attack, for no attack, no chance, no attack, no chance. That's what it is. And so, you know, he wins in 2017 for Andretti and he wins in 2020 in August for Ray Hall Letterman. He's run four seasons uh, from 2018 to 2021 with Ray Hall. So he's been there. He was there earlier in his career as well. So his third stint now with Ray Hall. And again, if you go to the last, you know, he finished third one time uh, just a few years ago. I think that was 2018, I believe. But you go to the last, you know, 20 laps of the race. If he's in the top five, six, seven, he's got a shot to win. And he knows how to win that race. There's only one driver in this field who's won at least two races besides Takuma Sato, and that is Elio Castroneves. So he's he's got experience. He knows how to win, and it's a good choice for for Bobby Rahal and and Mike Lanigan. He also uh, has taken an official role with Honda. Uh, it was announced this week that he is the executive advisor at HRC, which is what HBD is now called. It stands for Honda Racing Corporation. Uh, which kind of brings all of their entities a little more together with what they do in IndyCar, Formula One, IMSA, MotoGP, and maybe NASCAR. That was one of the rumors this week that there was a story out there. Actually, I think it was um, uh, on the NASCAR side that it was confirmed that there have been some conversations. I wouldn't make a whole lot into that. It It might be deep along the lines, but conversations are conversations. You call up. And say, hey, interested? Uh, okay, let's talk about it. But you know, if if Honda has some concerns about the expense of IndyCar, the the expenses in NASCAR are going to be significant, and they already have a lot going on that's very expensive. Namely, Formula One, uh, the IMSA program is massively expensive now with the hybrid uh, situation too. Or massively, maybe the wrong word, but it's a real real investment involved there. So am I telling you that it's not happening in NASCAR? No, I, I just don't know. But I don't know that I would worry too much. Uh, I don't know that anything really changed 
on that front. And I would say that's all still to be determined. But happy for Sato. Happy he's on board once again. Uh, I remember talking with him last year that he was telling me he was doing a little more with uh, the Honda Racing School and trying to kind of help mentor and advise young drivers. He's such a unique story. You know, someone that didn't grow up racing. He was a cyclist and got involved at 19 or 20 years old when he was at university in in a driving school and obviously showed massive talent and just rocketed through the system to, to get to Formula One. And here he is, what, 46, 47 years old? How how old will Takuma be this year? He will be, he just turned 47 last month. And I would say he is still a young 47 and has more time in it if he wants it. So that's good. Where do we stand? So this is one of those that was uncertain. This was, I was not 100% certain that that entry would run. So I believe we're at 34 now. And that's not counting Able Motorsports, who we think is highly, highly likely. But until you see the firm announcement of that, that's still a little bit of a TBD. So I think our number is 35 minimum. And I also feel more confident about that because it's Chevy. I suspect Honda is done. That's 18. It would take a very unique driver circumstance. And I don't know what team it would be. Dale Coyne is the, the Honda that I guess could be a scenario. And if, if indeed Nolan Siegel is doing the 500 as one of their two, you know, I guess if he found the right driver that says, I'll help, I'll fill in the rest of your budget, but I have to do well, both of them. If both of them have to do the Indy 500 plus Siegel, maybe that would be enough to be able to convince Honda we would do one more. But I think that's a long shot. Yeah, I think that's a long and, shot. And if that budget was available, it would already been done. I don't think there's anybody walking around that has that budget available to make that happen. We've been saying for a month at least that, you know, if that extra Honda came to be and we expected it would, would it would it either be at Ray Hall or or an extra car at at Coin? And I think this just simplifies things as we have talked about already on the show. Coin's team doesn't even have its two lined up yet, or at least has not announced its two. And so, you know, the fourth car at Ray Hall. I'm sure is well-funded and we'll go racing with those four. So if there were to, I, my guess is not just an over under, my guess is it's 35. I agree. I agree. I will be surprised if the third Foyt comes to fruition. Agreed. Agreed. And, and, you know, they're going to be in a, in a new uh, situation and working with team Penske, but I don't think it changes anything. I think they'll focus on the two cars that they got and and obviously team Penske will work on the three cars that it has and will present and so they'll that'll be the five from the technical alliance of team Penske and AJ Foyt Racing uh, I just can't I can't see another circumstance but but maybe it's not out of the question but but I doubt it uh if I'm Foyt I'm only doing it I'm not it's got to be two things the money has to be there and it has to be a driver that I think is additive to the program. Yep. And that is that list for them, maybe limited to J.R. Hildebrand at this point. I think that's where you start and end the conversation. I mean, he's, he's worked with him. He's obviously 
race winner worthy as he showed in 2011 as a rookie. And he's been a successful driver on the, on the series for, you know, many years and, and he's a known quantity. So I think it's, it starts and ends with Jr. I agree, but then I can still always talk <laughs> oh, yeah. myself out. Well, because does Devlin, Dev, does Devlin DeFrancesco want to do the Indy 500? I suspect he does. And so, so now we're down to one, either zero or one seats, right? Yeah. So the price then starts to go up and then it becomes a matter of how much do you want to pay for it? How desperately do you want to be in the Indy 500? And then it's, what do you think the value of this seat is? If it's prepared the same way as the Santino Ferrici and Benjamin Peterson cars from last year, it, okay, yeah, this is a car, and, and Devlin was solid at Indy last year, as I recall. So I'd think about that. But I again, I think I mentioned this before, I want to know who the engineer is, who's crewing the car, what are our chances of being able to get through six or seven clean pit stops and find out a little bit more on that front. But if they can convince me that, no, we're going to get this done here in February, we've got enough lead time, this is a former full-time engineer who just doesn't want to be on the road anymore, but he's happy to do the Indy 500, and we've got six more key people that are involved in this, including the chief mechanic, who is more than competent, then I'm like, okay, maybe I will pay $1.7 million, and I can find sponsorship for that and also find some value in being associated with A.J. Foyt, which from a commercial standpoint provides a lot of value. So, you know, that's why until, even if Larry says no, you know, there could always there's always enough zeros that make you say yes. If somebody comes up up to a certain date, you know, up to probably May 15th, something like that, because you really want to be at that April 10th and 11th test. Well, I, I think it's more like April 1st at the, at the latest, I think. But, um, but I think the fact that we are essentially out of seats or all but out of seats changes the conversation. It, and it changes the odds, quite honestly, because somebody's going to have some money to spend. And I guess here's the other scenario is that Abel, if Foyt is not going to run Correct. that Chevy engine, Abel could run a second. I doubt it. I doubt it. But I, I think I, I think the money would be spent because they're gonna be thirty that makes thirty six cars. You know you're gonna have to run fast enough to make the race. I think you the money is on Foyt. Yeah, I just if if you're an extra entry and you're one of the last getting in, you just have to understand that. I don't know what the percentage is, whether it's 50-50, 80-20, it's far from a lock of making the race when True. you were an extra car like that. And then like we've seen last year, full-time car. There was only one going home last year, and it was a full-time, well-budgeted program with Graham Rahal. It was the entry that did not make the race. And we, we kind of saw it early on, and Graham would tell us now, and I heard the whispers of this louder than whispers, after the April test, you know, he has said it on the record. Now I knew we were in trouble and he, that that's not Graham 
saying it after the fact, he he was quietly saying that last April is that we are in trouble. Something is not right. He knew it. The team knew it. Knowing it and being able to fix it is an entirely different thing, though. It's it's very difficult. Yeah, we're we're talking about fractions of a second here between yep. making it uh, in a, in pretty safe order and missing the show. I mean, it's not like we're this is the 1970s where it's a 10 second difference over four laps. We're talking about seconds over four laps. So, yeah, it's a, a very fine line. Some other nuggets, uh, sports car news related to IndyCar drivers. Alex Pillow is going to Le Mans. Happy for Alex. That's a bucket list item, and he likely has legal bills, so he needs as many part-time jobs as he can get. So this is good. This is this is a way that Chip Ganassi can help him in this situation. So Ganassi is going to have two of the three Cadillac entries. The Action Express Cadillac is the other one at Le Mans. Remember, the, the cars that typically race at the Rolex 24 or in the IMSA WeatherTech series, they are eligible to race alongside the hypercars in the top class in the World Endurance Championship, including Le Mans. So Polo is going to be in one entry with Alex Lynn uh, and Earl Bamber. I've learned Alex is a great IndyCar fan, that he, he, he has the VPN and watches Peacock from overseas every week, and we always chat whenever I see him at sports car races. And then the other car is Sebastian Bourdais, Ranger Van de Zanda, and Scott Dixon. That's a pretty good lineup there yeah, yeah. as well. Romain Grosjean is also going to be at Le Mans this year. And then the aforementioned Callum Eilat is on the Tom Brady uh, partnered Team Joda Hertz program. So, uh, And then you've got a lot of other, I think Steve Wittick posted this the other day. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais, who I mentioned, Mike Conway, Ben Hanley, Neil Johnny, um, Frank Pereira are some of those that have been in IndyCar that will be a part of Le Mans this coming year so that's cool i actually watched bathurst this weekend because there was no daytona 500 on sunday so that race was on saturday so i watched a little bit of it on my flight home from miami and then i just put it on in the background because i had there's no football um there was no basketball somehow did watch a few minutes of the nba all-star game in the fourth quarter and i won't get that time back um but so I watched Bathurst in part because Paul Tracy was involved and it's just such a cool event. Sure. And I feel I jinxed Paul. So he was running in one of the lower classes, like the fourth of the five classes in, in sort of a GT car. And I flipped on midway through the race and he's leading in class. Three seconds later, he spins in the rain and he's in the wall and then does a nice flick spin to get it out. And then the car just stops. And then I later learned that I guess the um, uh, part of the front got wedged in with a tire and it just wouldn't turn. So they had to tow it back, but they still, after losing several laps, came back and finished second in class. And I have not spoken to Paul yet, uh, but he had a great time and enjoyed it. And it's just a re really a, a neat event. And there was some, um, one of the Penske drivers that won the Rolex overall was a part of the overall winning team, uh, Matt Campbell, who maybe some people are familiar with. Putting the jinx on somebody, Mark Lynch and I always exchange who do we think is going to win a particular race, and we have our favorite, and then maybe a dark horse. and And I jumped in the NASCAR race with ten laps to go, hadn't 
And I had said earlier in the day, I'll take the two car, meaning I was going to take Logano, but for some reason I didn't put the second two. So I had okay. Austin Cindric. So a lap and a half later, <laughs> when I said, no, I, I really meant Logano, uh, he's involved in the 20 some car crash. And I put the jinx on Logano. So sorry, Roger. Didn't mean to well, do that on, to your. You did on Cindric too, because he was yeah, in position seconds to Seconds later, he win. was. Seconds later, he was in the wall. So, yeah, it's sad. It, it was, was bad. Sad. All the people I was rooting for did uh, not have the day they wanted. Almendinger hung in there. He got crashed yep. early, came back, finished like sixth in the 500. And then I gave up with five laps left in the Xfinity race. <laughs> the last red flag and said, that's enough for me. So I watched the final five laps this morning of that. Parker Kligerman was fast. Uh, and but could got crashed early and could never get his laps back. Somebody would have a problem and he wouldn't get the lucky dog, so he ran two laps down the entire race. But it was good to have racing back on the television over the weekend, and now we can get to IndyCar very, very soon. All right, coming up next, I have a lot of tweets we need to get to, I believe. So we'll go through the inbox, get into that, and I'm sure there are other things we've missed. So that and more all coming up. It's trackside 935 1075 the fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hi, this is Scott McLaughlin, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Okay, time to get to some Twitter questions and comments from the last few days. Uh, Brad Connell sent a picture of himself with Flavor Flav. I think the, he was responding to uh, what's your favorite event you're looking forward to or something. And, and Brad said, well, Detroit with Flavor Flav and, and Kevin Lee. Flavor is everywhere. Saw him at, uh, seen him on NBA games. He was at the Grammys, hanging out with Taylor Swift. I assume he was at the Super Bowl but I don't know that I saw him. It, it might've been like one of those circumstances. Who was it? Kevin Hart that got escorted. He tried to get on the field when you're up in the Super Bowl, and they didn't want to let him on. I think my guy Flay would have gotten on though with no problem. He didn't text you and tell you he was going to be there. No, no. Did you come away with his cell phone contacted. number? I did not. I didn't try. I didn't try. Cause you know, he'll just, he'll know when I want to get in touch with him again. <laughs> Okay. Which will be at Detroit next year. Will be when I want to get in touch with them again. That's funny. That still, that was still one of our favorite. Mo Every other celebrity you meet is organized. It's planned. They're there with handlers, and they're there to pitch a product. You know, Ric Flair or whatever the case may be, and those are cool. But this was, hey, I heard Flavor Flav is up there. What? And then it's up to me to decide whether he should be on television or not. And doing the vetting in the 45-second conversation we had before we get on air. And 
deciding, you know what? It's Peacock. Let's go for it. And it became you got one lucky. of our most memorable moments of the year. You got lucky. Now, if, it, if, I, if I didn't, I had two other people in the truck saying, sure, let's go for it. And we would have all gone down together. <laughs> uh let's see chuck kazer says three quote night races question mark yeah they're not really night races um but it is what it is it's tough to do night races in the summertime because it doesn't get dark that's you got to start at 10 30 eastern because all the places that you can run at night are in the central or time zone or otherwise right yeah, I about the only run a homestead race you could run if you could run something along the eastern seaboard, you could Richmond. get away with a night race. Richmond, New yeah. New Hampshire, you could run homestead. It would be dark at least forty minutes earlier uh, than it would be in in Indianapolis, or at least certainly much much earlier than it is in Iowa or Milwaukee. So. Cam Soup's FL with the legal battle that NASCAR is having with their charter system, is that making IndyCar thinking twice about having one of their own? So there's an Associated Press story over the weekend picked up by some other outlets as well. Jenna Fryer uh, learned that one of the top, I think, antitrust attorneys, is that the word for it, um, is who has been involved in very successful high-profile cases is now representing maybe the wrong word i don't have the story in front of me but is involved and the nascar owners have not been able to come to an agreement with nascar over the terms of the new charter system which is kind of their franchise system it was given to nascar teams to provide some long-term value and now it is real value they originally were selling for three or four million of a charter and now between 25 and $40 million, and they're uh, trying to work out a cut of the TV agreement and other things and are not getting anywhere at this point. Now, what's interesting out of all this, and, and to answer the question, well, I can't answer the question. I don't know. I don't know how close IndyCar is to some sort of a system. If, if IndyCar is asking for an upfront payment, that's probably not going to go over very well with the owners who are struggling financially to begin with, you know, and then you get into all the other semantics, which is, I suspect, how uh, the idea of locked-in spots came up again. You know, a lot of times when a news story comes out, was that a trial balloon again that, you know, it was shared to Nathan Brown that this is being discussed, so do we want it out there publicly to, to again, I think they already knew how the public would react, but try it one more time? Maybe, maybe not. This might just be that no, this has been a part of the conversation, and Nathan just got it on sourcing. So I, I would not put this necessarily in the leak to find out, because I think they knew how it was going to be received, and that's not super well by the public. Oh, but the ironic part of this is, you know, Roger Penske is the owner of IndyCar, and he is on the other side of this, on the NASCAR side of things. So he's going to have a firm understanding of both sides of that. So I wish I could answer better. But that's what we know. John Wirtz is who sent me the picture on his Twitter, jword 77 of Nolan Siegel at the airport a couple of weeks ago, holding a big trash bag with a race car seat in it. That is so good. So good. <laughs> Lynn, formerly the Spurs fan, says, during the summer there was an amazing article about Dixon's accomplishments on IndyCar.com. 
maybe written by one Kirk Cabin, was it? Probably. Probably. Then it had to be amazing. Lynn says, my favorite stat is in the 20 year, 21 years completed in IndyCar, you only finished uh, there. Um, he, he only finished worse than fourth in the championship. I think there's a word missing. He only finished there years less than fourth in the championship. Greatest of all time, question mark. We're missing a word, but the point being, yeah, he was always up at the front. I think it's going to be tough to find somebody that had as many top three or top four finishes as, as Dixon. Well, I, I think, don't know. you know, the impressive thing to me, kind of along the lines of LeBron making the NBA All-Star team like 20 straight years, is that Dixon's won a race. What is it? 19 straight years. That's unbelievable. And like 20 or 21 years overall or something to that effect. I mean, it's just unbelievable how long he has been, not just in the game, but at the top of the game. Uh, that's just it's just remarkable. And, and his number of third place uh, or better finishes is like every other race. I mean, he's been in the top three almost half of his races or or 40% of his races. It's unbelievable. Lynn also says, just read an article with Errol McLaren hiring a manager of pit stops. I would love to see an organization chart of that team. Is this team overthinking? I heard major decisions go over the pond to F1 headquarters. I think this is a great hire, and maybe I'm biased because I know that person that they hired fairly well. It's Kyle Sagan who is one of the hired guns. So Kyle is a longtime mechanic in IndyCar and is who one of those a few years ago decided, you know what, this is getting to be a bit of a grind. And he had some other opportunities, but he's so good. So he's been on, I think, multiple Indy 500 winning teams. He always kind of went with Kanan. He was with Andretti Green and, you know, then went with Kanan to the Vassar Sullivan team. And I'd show up a lot of weekends and he would be with different teams. So he w- he almost became like a NASCAR guy. NASCAR hires people to come in and do pit stops. Kyle generally did the outside rear, which I think is one of the more challenging ones. I would say outside front is also challenging, but you got to be big, strong, and also athletic to make that quick move over there. But he would get hired by big teams, and and I don't think he worked as a he wasn't working as a full time mechanic. But they also loved having him because if there was a crash, unlike the NASCAR pit guys who are former football players or track and field athletes, they're not working on the car. If it's an all-hands-on-deck thing, Kyle Sagan is working on the car. So he's kind of been doing that, and I'll see him at IMSA races uh, with Vassar Sullivan and other teams a lot of times as well. So, no, he knows what he's doing, and I have not – Talk to him. I don't know if he's still going to be over the wall. You know, maybe it's a situation where he's over the wall on, on Kyle Larson's car. They need extra key people yeah, yeah. for the Indy 500. And Kyle is still young enough to do this for a while over the wall, but there does become a point where most people say, yeah, I'm 40 years old or 45 or whatever. I don't want to do this over the wall forever. So it's a way to stay involved in the sport. So this is another example of McLaren having the resources and thinking, what can we do to be the best that we can do? And by the way, other teams have pit pit coordinators. Yeah. You know, it may not be someone um, with the success 
over the wall that Kyle has had, but they have people that are organizing things that are not on the pit stop crew. Does he still have his big beard? Most of the time. Yeah. So, sometimes it's not as long as it is other times, <laughs> but, but yeah, Kyle is a very recognizable sort, one of our favorite people in the paddock. And yeah, they probably do. Uh, you know, I think that's more from an engineering standpoint. And one of the reasons why I wondered why that might be why Craig Hampson isn't there anymore. Don't know this. I've not talked to Craig at all. He never has mentioned this to me. Uh, and no one has even said secondhand that Craig is annoyed, but I've wondered about that. I wondered if you're someone that is a successful engineer and there are benefits to using the Formula One resources, but they're still, you know, not old school is the wrong way to do it because, you know, these are young engineers that are taking advantage of all the technology available, but it's just, hey, this is what we think we should do to the car for the next session. Let's do it. Let's don't get a committee that's not here at the racetrack deciding those things. Um, but yeah, that that's one of the scenarios in that. Michael Shaw says guarantee should be for points, not start. So if a series regular fails to qualify, they still get last place points, for example. That's one of the small things, but that sure. that doesn't answer the problems. Yeah, that, if, that's if the, the real concern is losing your sponsor, collecting last po place points does not make up for the lost revenue from that, especially if you're not someone involved in the championship. Yep. Agreed. Um, what else? Oh, I had a couple of direct messages. I don't always see those, but Grant asked last week, uh, it's somewhat of an inside joke with the family, but whatever happened to Carlos Munoz? Is he still in the mix for an Indy one-off? All that guy did was show up, compete for a win, and finish top five. He's like Ferrucci, but without all the drama in the paddock. Uh, Grant writes, thanks for the time. So I think right. what most happened with Carlos was, well, I'll, I'll let you, you, I'm sure you know the answer too. Well, go ahead and say, I don't know where you're going with this. I, I was just going to say, you know, his success very much reminded me of like Roberto Guerrero, uh, you know, really close to winning on a couple of occasions, three occasions, but just, it didn't, it didn't happen. But why isn't he back? I think some of it is once you show that you have the ability to pay for the seats, oh, it's hard yeah. to get hired for the seats. And everyone is holding out. now Because it really I probably just came down to at some point the family said, we've kind of spent all we can spend. We can keep spending, but this is coming out of your inheritance and how you're going to live the rest of your life. And it may have been Carlos that said, uh, okay, you know, I've tried it. It's clear no one's going to just simply hire me because they know the money is there somewhere. Double-edged sword. You need the budget to get there, but then how do you convince people to then hire you? How do you go from being a pay driver to a paid driver? And we have just seen recently Marcus Erickson deal with the same thing. Yeah, and it was it, a it was, was a, a struggle process for him. Yeah, it was a struggle won, for Marcus, and I think yeah, he, he has won the Indy Five Hundred, and I think he's won the battle. But but, you know, when when somebody gets the reputation of their their family will pay for it or they have money to pay for it in some form, it's a hard thing to break. And it, it's even as simple as when you go out to dinner with them and people expect them to pick up the check. It, it really is tough to kind of break that. Brian asks, can you or Kurt ask what happened to the relationship with racing radio, providing racing electronics? Was it money? I believe the company was sold to NASCAR a couple of years ago. 
They make the finest scanners while providing the best technology of over-air programming. At the racetrack, it's not the same with the company no longer involved. Don't know, but your answer is usually money. Yep. Or or somebody else got the contract. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that we would get the exact on the record or the exact full answer if we asked. So unfortunately, it's not there. I don't know what the other option is. Um but hopefully it is satisfactory. All right, what we missed and more coming up in a moment on Trackside. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hi, this is Rinus VK, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, final segment, things that we've missed. I'm sure there's some more that, that I haven't come up with yet, but I know one thing we haven't mentioned in the last couple of weeks uh, since I saw news break was this story about Formula One filing for a trademark for uh, some verbiage around uh, Chicago Grand Prix or Formula One Chicago Grand Prix. I would think there's still a long way to go before that happens, but it's just part of the due diligence. Uh, I would think that'd be really difficult, but you know what? They got it done in Vegas, so you never know. I I also think they're to the point of adding a fourth in America plus a couple of more in North America might be a little bit too much. So maybe this is just getting the process started just in case that, Something goes awry in Vegas or one of the other venues, and then we potentially have a backup plan. But I wouldn't count on that happening anytime in the near future just yet. Uh, their testing is underway this week as well. And uh, Steve Wittick from TracksideOnline.com sent me this today. This was funny. And just a, one example of how different the sports are. In their three-day test, the teams have 35 sets of tires. IndyCar teams get, what, five to eight a weekend, some something like that. You know, that's the, the amount you get. That's a few more than you get for the entire Indy 500 event. So, uh, yeah, that, that's just kind of how it goes. And their, their season begins next weekend, which I'm happy about, that it's not IndyCar opening weekend because I enjoy watching Formula One. And we'll be able to crown a champion by the end of the weekend. Uh, but they're starting on Saturday. So I hadn't really looked into this, but the first two events are on Saturday, not only at the venue, but also U.S. time. And this is because of the start of Ramadan. So it's the the first time in a long time that they've had Saturday races other than the Vegas race, which happened on Saturday. Uh, what was the note that I saw before Vegas, you had to go back to the 1985 South African Grand Prix for a race held on a Saturday. So Bahrain next week on the 29th, the first practice 
will be at 6.30 a.m. our time on the Thursday. So Thursday morning practice. Essentially everything moved up a day leading to the Saturday race on March 2nd at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And then the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, that's St. Pete weekend, will get started Thursday, March 7th, 8.30 Eastern time for the first practice leading up to the race on Saturday afternoon at noon. So something a little bit different. Okay, out of time. We'll see you next Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. Thanks to Elijah and Kurt. I'm Kevin. Podcast up in a little bit. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.